we don't talk about the ones who never come back. Not in my house, not at school, not anywhere in my town. But not talking about them doesn't bring them back, and it doesn't stop more people from disappearing. So I'm going to tell you everything I know. The first disappearance I remember was Julie Wilkins in the third grade. She had blonde pigtails and always wore a bright red sweater, even in the summer. I didn't think anything of it the first day she was gone, but I asked my teacher about her the second day. Julie? She's sitting right over there in her usual spot, Mrs. Peterson replied. The girl in Julie's spot wore the same bright red sweater, but she had black hair and a mean face and didn't look anything like Julie. I tried to explain that to the teacher, but... Mrs. Peterson wouldn't listen. I kept insisting, louder and louder, growing red in the face and screaming when the teacher wouldn't listen. I ran over to the imposter and pulled her hair, demanding, with all single-minded fury of a nine-year-old girl, to know what happened to Julie's pigtails. She cried and started pulling my hair back, and soon, both of us were sent home early. I watched the mean-faced girl get picked up by Mrs. Wilkins, Julie's mom. The woman hugged the girl and helped her into the back seat, and they drove away together. And every day after that, the girl with the black hair would sit in Julie's chair and chat with Julie's friends, until after about a month, I finally let it go and started calling her Julie, too. Kate Bennett in the sixth grade, Steve Oshaki in the eighth, Lisa Wellington, junior year, There was never a fuss about it, so there were probably more that I didn't notice. I actually liked the new Lisa considerably more than the old one who used to stick gum everywhere, but that didn't make it okay. Because every time this happened, I couldn't stop thinking about what it would be like if I was next. I didn't like the idea of someone else sleeping in my bed or hugging my mom. I liked the idea of what might have happened to the original people, even less. As I got older, I started thinking there was something wrong with me. If their closest friends and family didn't notice their change, then maybe there was no change at all. Maybe I misremembered or hallucinated. Maybe there was something wrong with my eyes or my brain or some unseen tumor quietly swelling until the day I won't know anyone and no one will know me. I still lived in the same small town during college, though, and... I didn't forget the lesson I learned in third grade. I kept my mouth shut and pretended not to notice. But it was a lot harder to pretend when I woke up one morning and found a stranger sleeping next to me where my fiancé used to be. I didn't wake him. I just watched him sleep, trying to imagine what would come of us. The new Robert wasn't unhandsome, He was in better shape than my fiancé had been, and if the other replacements were any indication, then he'd still know who I was and what I meant to him. I tried to go along with it, but couldn't even make it through the first morning. I flinched when he kissed me, and just watching him get dressed in Robert's clothes was enough to make me miss my real fiancé. I laid in bed, pretending I was sick until he left for work, and then I jumped up and started packing my things. I was gone before he got back. No message, no letter, no explanation. 
Why should I try to mend a stranger's broken heart when I had no one to mend mine? The new robber didn't let me go that easy. I blocked his number, but messages kept slipping through. Social media, email, he even renamed our shared Netflix account to say he misses me. I finally confronted him when he found out which friend I was staying with and knocked on the door. It's not you. It's me. Weeks of suffering and invisible wound, and that's the best I could come up with. I tried to convince him that I was sick and needed to be alone, and he tried to convince me that he would help me get better. I'd almost gotten rid of him when my stupid friends started crying and thanking the stranger for not giving up on me. I guess that's when I gave up on myself. I let the man take me back to the place that used to be my home. I stood stiff as a board when he hugged me, and the hair on the back of my neck stood on end when he stroked my head and told me we would get through this together. Then I lay beside him in the bed we shared and wondered how the warmth of his body felt so much colder than love. I didn't sleep that night. I guess that's why I was the only one to hear the knock at the door after midnight. A burst of tentative taps, almost like someone wanted to be heard and was afraid to be noticed at the same time. I thought about waking the stranger in my bed, but I decided that I felt safer when he was asleep. I lay in bed for several long seconds before I heard the knocking again. It was faster this time, more urgent. I slipped out of bed and crept down the stairs, not turning on any of the lights. Checking that the door was still locked, then up to the peephole. It's cold out here. I can't find my key. Robert sent through the door. I stared at my real fiancé through the peephole. Are you in there? Hello? The rapid knocking came once more. How could I open the door? How could I invite him into our home with another man upstairs in the bed? But how could I not and risk losing him again? I stood frozen at that peephole, watching him huddling under his jacket for warmth. Let me in, he said again, louder this time. The other Robert would wake soon if he hadn't already. Let me in, let me in! Suddenly, he leapt at the door and started hammering on it with his fist. I jumped away from the shuddering wood in surprise, tripping over myself and collapsing onto my ass. The original Robert instantly fell quiet, no doubt hearing me. I know you're there. Don't do this to me. Let me in. Let me in. And the hammering returned, stronger than ever. The whole door was trembling in its frame. The first light turned on upstairs, and shortly later, the creak of wood from the steps. I unlocked the door and flung it open. I clenched my eyes and braced for impact, expecting for the real robber to come flying into the room from his momentum. Honey, what's going on down there? A stranger's voice. I-, I don't know. I thought I heard something. 
I said, my voice ringing hollow in my own ears as I stared at the empty darkness. I took a step outside and welcomed the freezing air enveloping my skin. You're already sick. Don't make it worse. I took another step in defiance. I'm not sick, I told him. My voice more level than it had ever been. I just don't love you. That's all. His snarl lasted less than a second, but it was enough so that I couldn't see his face without remembering it. Don't you dare follow him, the stranger said. Follow who? I asked innocently, taking another step into the freezing night. The snarl returned, and this time it took several seconds to fade. He half turned away from me, then apparently changing his mind, he lunged through the door after me. I was already running as fast as I could, the icy concrete driveway stinging my feet as though some of the skin was left behind with every step. Don't go out there, he shouted at me. You'll disappear too. I wouldn't have minded disappearing, though. I could disappear with Robert. The other ones can have the house. They can get dressed in our clothes and laugh with our friends and eat Christmas dinner with my family, but they won't have us. So I just kept running, calling for Robert and hoping that he'd find me before my lungs froze stiff. Before the stranger caught me and dragged me back and fussed over me until I believed that I was sick too. I ran for as long and as hard as I could, screaming until my throat was raw, but I didn't find Robert. The stranger had given up hours ago, but I kept going until morning when my fingers and toes were black and blue and my blood felt like ice in my veins. And by the first touch of light, I found myself back at the house that had been my home, back to wondering whether I was really sick and whether it would be the death of me. Only it wasn't my home anymore. The stranger who had replaced Robert was kissing his new fiance who had replaced me, and there was our neighbor greeting them good morning as though he'd known them both for years. And life goes on for the rest of the world who don't talk about the ones who never come back. As for me, without friends or family or home to call my own, I finally know where the ones who disappear go. They can go anywhere, because there's nothing left to hold them back. I didn't understand why her father kept her locked in that run-down shed in the woods. When I first saw her chained in that musky place, I was too drunk to figure it out. If only I had paid attention, I might have been able to save her. Judging by the dozens of missed calls on my dying phone that afternoon, high school officials had informed my mom that I'd skipped again. My friends and I had something more important to do than calculus, getting shit-faced drunk in the woods behind the school. Before we knew it, it got dark and the group disbanded. In my drunken haze, I must have taken a wrong turn because I wound up deeper in the forest where I came across a lone shed. 
As far as I could see, it didn't belong to any home or cottage. It was just there in the middle of nowhere. A hunter's hut? I wondered. No. Fuck, would they be hanging out here? Groundhogs? Stumbling forward, I began hearing sobs escaping from the cracks of the old wooden structure. They were definitely the cries of a human girl. My head spun around at a pleasant buzz, turning a simple walk into an awkwardly zigzaggy trek. As I reached the shed, my foot sunk into a particularly deep patch of snow, causing me to lunge forward. My hand rose towards one of the walls for support, and it went right through the wood, the plank disintegrating into soft mush like a soggy piece of bread. Gross. After steadying myself and wiping my hand on my pants, I peered in the hut through the hole I'd just inadvertently created. It was blurry inside, though that was probably due to the alcohol in my system. I squinted and tried to make out shapes through the darkness, but it was almost impossible to see. If I hadn't heard another whimper, I might have missed her entirely. There was a girl, maybe five years old, curled up in the corner. Her arms and legs were bound in thick iron chains, which rattled as she desperately pawed at a stuffed bear just out of reach. She looked up and... For a brief moment, our eyes met. I could feel her fear and sorrow chipping away at my heart. Through her messy, curly black locks of hair, her lips stretched into a shy smile. She was covered in filth, but seemed otherwise healthy. What kind of sick monster would do this to a kid? I wondered. Hey, I called out. Still wearing a solemn smile, she stretched down an arm towards me, but the chains held it back. She didn't speak, but her hopeless eyes told me all I needed to know. I'll get you out of here, I promised. I staggered to the door, reaching for the handle. I pushed and pulled, but the damn thing wouldn't open. A simple latch might have been too much in my drunken state. Returning to the window, I waited to get her attention. I'm going to go for help. I said through slurred speech. I promise I'll get you out of here. I ran straight for the nearest squad car as soon as I returned to civilization. My first mistake was banging on the passenger window frantically to get the attention of the cops inside. My second mistake was screaming profanities at the cops as they tackled me to the ground and cuffed me. Why couldn't I have calmly gone up to them and explained the situation in a rational manner? I could have feigned sobriety... It was obviously it would have worked out better. Instead, I acted like a weird, drunken teenager cussing up a storm and making insane claims that I came across a psychopathic's murder hut. I was arrested for drunken and disorderly conduct. Well, fuck, I murmured as my jail cell locked shut. Sober up, kid. We'll call your mom to pick you up in the morning, said the officer. Fuck, 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 I thought, irritated. I'd gone from trying to free an imprisoned child to winding up just as locked up as she was. Eventually, I dozed off into an uncomfortable middle bench in the back of the cell. In the morning, I was awoken by the sound of jingling keys. The prison guard unlocked my cell and led me to the main desk. I looked around for my mom, but she was nowhere to be seen. So, I just get to go home now? I asked. Yeah. He answered, barely paying attention to me. 
and my mom. She bailed you out last night. She said, and I quote, let that ungrateful prick sleep it off. He can walk home in the morning. It's called tough love, kid, he replied. I furrowed my brows. Yeah, that sounded like mom all right. Probably trying to teach me a lesson like that time she made me watch Scared Straight after I was caught shoplifting. Did anyone check out that shed? The one I kept screaming about last night? The officer laughed, patting me on the back. Yeah, we sent a few officers to scope the area. There's no cabin, kid. Take my advice and lay off the drugs, he told me, using a condescending tone that reminded me of my father. Prick. I needed to go back. If only it was to prove what I saw was real. My mom was probably going to get a call from school again, but I didn't care. At least I was skipping for a good cause this time. There it was, behind a row of snowy maple trees, the small shed where I'd seen the girl. A new wooden plank concealed the hole I'd made, suggesting someone had been by since my visit the night before. The door proved much less of a challenge in the light of day without chemicals swimming in my blood. I was amused by my own inability to complete such a simple task while under the influence. The door scraped along the snow-covered forest floor as I pulled it open. Sure enough, there she was. The girl I had seen. Somehow, despite her awful situation, she was fast asleep under a thick blanket. She looked so peaceful that I decided not to wake her. The door to the claustrophobically small shed closed behind me with a click. It was warmer than expected inside the cracked structure. Roughly the size of four office cubicles, the shed was full of oddities, such as an army of broken garden gnomes, bags of seashells, and old store signs, as well as normal shed stuff like wheelbarrows, shovels, a car tarp, toolboxes full of rusted equipment, and a lawnmower. The weirdest thing of it was the net stapled to the ceiling. It wasn't a cheap little bug net, either. It was the kind you see on fishing boats, a big, thick net capable of holding thousands of unruly sea creatures. As far as I could tell, it served no purpose other than to freak me out. The girl stirred, her soft brown eyes opening. She immediately reached for her teddy bear, but it was still too far away. She pulled on her chains to no avail. There was little to no slack, especially on the ones around her ankles. I picked the teddy bear up and handed it to her. An overwhelmingly happy smile was given to me as an award. How could she be so upbeat after the horrors she'd endured? I'm going to get you out of here, I said. Kneeling down in front of her, I fiddled with the cuffs on her wrist. Unfortunately, lockpicking was a skill I'd only learned in video games. Try as I might, I couldn't get them undone. Okay, no problem, I thought. Maybe the chains were attached to the mushy, rotten, decomposing walls. Surely I'd be able to break the wood to free her. I pulled off her blanket to reveal a concrete slab which from the chains emerged. It looked as though they'd been molded right into the block. I needed to use a different strategy. What's your name? I asked as I examined each link for signs of weakness. She didn't answer. Instead, she just smiled and hugged her bear. <laughs> okay, well, my name's Adrian, I told her. 
I was really counting on finding rusted links that I could break off, but I had no such luck. Unlike the other objects in the shed, the chains were in pristine condition. If I wanted to break them, I was going to have to use some tools. I rummaged through the toolboxes for anything that might do the trick. I hammered, I sawed, I wrenched, but it was all in vain. All I had to show for a morning's worth of work were a few scratches on a single link. Chains were simply too strong. The girl silently watched me work. Every now and again I asked her questions. Favorite color, TV show, superhero. She only ever smiled to acknowledge my question, but kept her lips sealed shut. An animal-esque whine escaped her lips while I was in the middle of sawing a chain for the fifth time. Half its teeth had broken off in the process, but I had stubbornly continued my work. I stopped for a moment and listened, only to hear footsteps approaching. She pointed to one of the corners of the shed, as though telling me to hide. Like a cockroach, I scurried into the darkness, hiding behind the garden gnomes. One of them glared at me with his beady little eyes. Fuck you looking at, I thought. A pair of feet came into view. I was half expecting him to look like a flesh-eating lunatic of some sort, but what I saw was a middle-aged man dressed quite plainly. He shook snow off his salt and pepper hair and closed the door behind him. There was a picnic basket nestled under his arm, which he sat down next to the girl. Lunchtime, Emma, he announced, his voice strangely mournful. He bet the child's head, and to my surprise, she didn't recoil in terror. Stockholm Syndrome? I theorized. The man began to pull out a variety of lovingly prepared food items. Heart-shaped sandwiches, a bowl of warm soup, colorful fruit kebabs, and even a cupcake for dessert. He took great care in hand-feeding her the meal he'd made. As I lay there watching the scene unfold, he gave me the impression more of a loving father than that of a murderous child abductor. My stomach gurgled hungrily at the feast, but I tried to will it to stop, for fear that it'd give me away. I couldn't help Emma if I got caught and chained up next to her. When she finished the meal, he put everything back in the picnic basket and gave her a toy truck. I'll be back in time for supper, honey. Be good, he murmured, kissing her forehead. My face twisted at the sight. How could someone be so delusional? I stayed hidden long after he'd left the shed just in case he'd come back. Eventually, I crawled out, my stiff neck crackling with relief. Emma was playing with her new toy, a happy smile on her face. My afternoon was spent much like the morning, hacking away at chains to no avail. As supper drew near, I became increasingly nervous. I knew her father would return soon, and I needed to get home. I had to make a tough call. I'll be back tomorrow, okay? She smiled and nodded. I hated the thought of her spending the night alone, but I had to go. There was no other choice. I had only one mission when I got to school the next day. Break into the janitor's closet where he kept the lock cutter. I knew he had one, since the school had performed a random drug search on my unit the month before. I followed Mr. Bentley as he roamed around, picking up litter in the hallway. Every time he looked my way, I'd act like I was checking my phone. 
I'm not sure if he bought it, but my shifty behavior definitely didn't keep him from eventually unlocking the maintenance closet. I kept my distance and waited for him to exit. Once he did, I subtly slid my foot between the door and its frame to keep it from closing. I slipped inside, heart racing, and searched for the lock cutter. There would be trouble if I was caught, and I couldn't afford the delay. Emma needed me, and there was no way I was sitting in the principal's office all day over something as stupid as borrowing school property. I had to be quick. Pushing through a pile of useless junk, I found what I came for. The cutters. It was snowing that afternoon as I traveled back into the forest. Free the girl, bring her to the cops, be a hero, I repeated to myself. They had no choice but to believe me if I brought her in. I clutched the metallic jaws close to my chest, my moist mittens sticking to its cold surface. Emma, as always, welcomed me with a bright smile. This time, we're getting you out, I told her confidently. I prayed my plan would work as I slid the lock cutter's jaw between her skin and the shackle around it. The cuff was tight, and there was barely enough room for it to fit, but I managed to wiggle it in anyways. Emma looked terrified. Maybe she feared the device was going to cut her hand off. Don't worry, this won't hurt, I reassured. On the count of three, okay? Deep breath. One, two, three. I brought my arms down with all my might. Snap. She yelped as the cuff cracked open like an egg, freeing her right hand. It immediately reached for my arm, holding it tightly. I repeated the process until I'd freed every limb. Then I took her into my arms and ran towards the door, leaving the lock cutter behind. She was light, lighter than I thought possible. Holding her was like lifting someone in a pool. Sure, she was small, but how could anyone be that light? She clung to me like a baby koala to its mother, her teddy bear squished between our chests. I ran through the woods, snow crunching under my feet. Once we'd gotten far enough from the shed, I set the girl down, and as I did so, her little hand grabbed mine like a vice grip. I forced a reassuring smile. I'd done a good deed. Now I just needed to get her to the authorities. Child Protection Services cops anywhere that could keep her father away. And I would have. I would have gone straight to help if I hadn't felt the light tug like that of a helium balloon as we passed a park. She led me to a swing set, releasing my hand only once the other had grabbed a hold of the chain. It was a dumbed-down version of what had been keeping her captive less than an hour ago. Odd choice. I pushed her for a bit, but as the sun began to set, I grew wary. Her father had surely returned to the shed by now and realized she'd escaped. He'd be looking for her, and I was sure the park would be the first place he'd check. I stepped away and motioned for her to follow. Instead, she clung to the swing set, her body trembling, a single hand outstretched towards me hesitantly. I've got you someplace warm, okay? Come on, we can't play anymore. I answered. She shook her hand, insisting I take it. Fine, I grumbled. I took her hand half-heartedly, but the strength with which she held it made me realize she felt safe with me. 
I smiled and squeezed her tiny, delicate fingers. We took off towards the police station. Never once did she let go of my hand. And then, it all fell apart. All because of me. Because of a stupid sneeze. I let go for just a moment, a split second so I could cover my mouth. The moment it took for my eyes to close and the air to torpedo out of my nose, the girl disappeared. I looked down and around me, frantically. How could she have run away so quickly? I should have noticed it sooner, but when I did, it was too late. I looked at the snow to try and track her, but only my footprints were present in the snow. There were two thin lines next to me, as though only the tips of her feet had touched the surface the whole time. Something fell on my head. Something soft and squishy. Her teddy bear bounced off my forehead and landed at my feet. No fucking way. I looked up. She was floating, her body drawn towards the sky. Already she was out of reach, yet her hand still extended down towards me as though begging me to take it, to save her. Even as I jumped to try and bridge the distance, I failed to come close. It was like watching someone fall into a chasm in slow motion. She started sobbing, tears falling like raindrops between the snowflakes. Her hand wiggled desperately, but she was already higher than the trees. There was nothing I could do. I wanted to save her, to go after her somehow, but I was chained down. Gravity was chaining me down to earth, like she should have been. I could only watch as she cried and floated up into the sky, helplessly begging for my help until she disappeared into the clouds. Even to this day, on the quiet nights, I can still hear her wailing cries echoing above. Somehow, she's still out there cursing me for breaking her chains.